0: Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. I invite you to go with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Again, just a reminder as you come on, if you can mute yourself so that uh, it it removes distractions. Matthew chapter 6 verse 5. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father who is seen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans. For they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. And why don't we just all just go ahead and just pray this prayer together out loud? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I want to go back to verse 5. Can we do that? And back in verse 5, I want you to note something here. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. Now, what's a hypocrite? Well, a hypocrite, the word hypocrite actually comes from acting. It, they, they use this word hypocrite when they think of uh, those who act out in theater. Uh, back a long time ago, they used to actually have these sticks and masks in front of them, and they would put it in front of them, and they would act in front of that. And, and that was, they would call that hypocritical. So they would put this mask on, something in which they really weren't. Don't be like the hypocrites. So obviously Jesus is identifying there's hypocrites around. He says they love to pray standing in the synagogues, street corners, to be seen, note this, now what's the point of prayer? (laughs) That's not a trick question. The point of prayer is not to stand, many times we stand and pray, the point of prayer is not to be on street corners, the point of prayer is not to be seen by others, but that's what the hypocrites Do. The hypocrites want to be seen as those who know how to really pray. I'm going to suggest there's a place for public prayer and private prayer. But public prayer needs to flow out of your private prayer. And if all you pray, or the majority of yours and my prayer, and I would say I'm probably going to be more tempted to do this than most because I have opportunity in front of people to do things. I need to make sure that when I pray, I'm praying in private significantly more than when I pray in public. And out of my private prayers, it flows into the public. So we go back to that first portion, verse 5, and we come to the part where it talks about hypocrites seen by others. Now, here's the problem. If that's the point of it, says they love to be seen by others, the Lord says, truly, I'm going to tell you something here. I'm going to tell you how it works. They have received their reward in full. Well, what reward is that? Well, they were seen. They obviously love people's recognition. So that's their reward. And they've received it in full. There's no more. And so therefore, they've received their reward in full. And if we go on to the next verse, let's go on to the next one. Then it goes on to the next section here. And here we go. It's coming. There it is. When you pray, go into your room, close the door. Don't pray to be seen. You pray to your Father. That's why, again, I encourage you when you pray, try to pray in a correct fashion. Many people just say Jesus, 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 and it's okay. I don't think God's horribly confused. When we call on the name of Jesus, But when you pray, the mandate is you pray to where? Your father. So pray to your father. That's when Jesus actually, when he went to the next part, he says, when you pray, say our father in heaven. So pray to your father. You can't see him. So it's a faith act. Pray to your father. You don't have to get an image. You don't have to have, you know, some picture of the passion of the Christ picture in there. Pray to the father. Then, keyword your father, who sees what's in secret, here's the reward, will reward you. Now, what do you think the reward is? Now, the one before, you've received your reward in full. What was your reward in full? Somebody saw you. But that's not what I pray for. That's not what you pray for. That's not the purpose of prayer. What's the purpose of prayer? It's one thing. The purpose of prayer is to receive answers. I pray not simply to communicate. I don't believe that is an adequate definition of prayer. I don't believe I pray so that God can humble me knowing I need to pray, but really nothing's going to change. That's silliness. I pray because God says he will answer our prayers. So I pray and the reward of my prayer is answered prayers. So we come back to this. Then your father sees you in secret, rewards you how? With answered prayer. And when you pray, do not, and this is the the second aspect, keep on babbling. Like, let's go to the next screen. Like pagans. For they will be heard because of their many words. They think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not not be like them. So (laughs) if you were together with me in the church, I'd say, everybody say, do not be like them. Don't be like them. Why? Babbling many words. Blah, 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 blah. It's not in how many words you have. It's in what comes from the heart. You do need to give it words, but let the words be authentic. Let the words be real in our prayers. So when we pray, we don't need to change our voice. You know, I'm talking away like this to you now. Let's say I'm going into prayer. Let's all pray. And then I go, heavenly father, I come, you know, and it's just like, what is that? That's spooky. Talk to him from your heart. That's what he, authentic. Will be heard, not with many words. Do not be like them. There it is again. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. And then it goes into the Lord's Prayer. Your father your father knows. So you might ask the question, well, why bother praying if he already knows? Isn't it kind of moot to pray if he already knows? No, because fundamentally, prayer is giving earthly license For heavenly interference. He's asked me to pray. He's asked me to represent myself and others. And when I do that as a body, as a physical person, but also as a spiritual person who is alive in Christ, as I do that, then I give license for God to interfere in my affairs through Jesus Christ. So prayer is giving earthly license for heavenly interference. So uh, we're going to unpack that a little bit more on Wednesday morning with the women. We'll probably do that. The men uh, or women and men families on Wednesday evening, seven o'clock, we are doing Doing Life Together. You can uh, email us and we'll get you onto the Zoom. I'll be doing that this Wednesday. Let's move on. I've been sharing very briefly on, if you go to our website and you go to sermons, we've added a link there called Spiritual, and it's merely podcasts. I'm not preaching these but there's a number of them. I'm just going to go through with the three weapons of war, the weapons of the word, weapons of the name, weapons of the blood. And you can find those as you go through those particular aspects of on the podcast. Then they're released through the launch pad of prayer, through proclamation, through praise, and through our testimony. More about that. I just finished sending out the name. This week, I think you're going to be interested in I'm going to be sending out regarding what's the power of the blood. We sing about the power of the blood Maybe not as much as we used to. Why is it important? I'm going to tell you why it's important. Uh, Go on the website this week. That's how you'll find it. Okay. We've been talking of hindrances. Very quickly, I want to do the hindrances. When you go to pray, uh, I started with these because the Bible actually, these are, I just pulled them from the scriptures. Eleven points where I found in the scriptures that hinders us when we want to pray. So we need to get this out of the way. Sin, number one, I make it number one. Search my heart, Lord, because if there's iniquity in me, God says he will not hear. Guilt, this has to do with uh, feeling I'm worthy to come before him, feeling that I have a a rightful place to go before him, and therefore I have confidence and boldness uh, that my sins are forgiven, and I can actually approach Him in my prayers. Feelings of inferiority has to do with The mentality that you are a child of God, and as a child of God, you got inheritant rights. The Bible over and over talks about the significance of our adoption into his family, and we have inheritant rights. Don't be inferior. If you're inferior, you will beg. You don't have to plead. You don't have to beg with God. You don't have to do that. Unforgiveness, these three come together. Unforgiveness, bitterness has to do with malice, malice of heart. And broken family relationships, you say, well, I'm lost because I've broken family relationships and I just can't fix that. Uh, it's making the, the point of this, broken family relationships, you should not be harboring brokenness. You need to be ongoing seeking reconciliation and to build build back in peace back into your family. So you need to be making effort to do that. It can't be from you because if it's from you, it hinders your place of prayer. I want to share five more. We're going to close with these five today. And then next week, I'm going to get to the part where I've been kind of, this is all leading up. Now we get past the hindrances. Next week, I want to talk about what action steps do, there, and it's not hard. It's not complicated. Prayer is not meant to be complicated. But I think if we kind of think through some of these things, it will help you significantly. Not only pray, pray with power, but you'll enjoy it. You'll enjoy the the process too so we're going to be more about that next week but let me share those last five the first one i want to share here fear fear is another hindrance again i'm pulling these from scripture so this is found in first john chapter 4 verse 18 there is no fear in love now pausing there for a second god describes himself one of the most fundamental names is love There's no fear in love. So he says he's not given us the spirit of fear, but he's given us a power, love, and a sound mind. He's a God of love. So here it is. There's no fear in love. So when we grow in love, fear dissipates. Let's continue. But perfect love drives out fear. Distinction between love, God loves you. But then we need to grow into perfected love. That doesn't mean you're perfect. Far be it. It means that you have grown to the place where you are fully absorbing how much he loves you as a God who loves you. But perfect love drives out fear. You don't have to work at it, actually. As you grow in your love, fear doesn't stick around. Because fear has to do with, and I want you to know the word, here's the key, punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Now note the word punishment here. Fear has to do with punishment. The focus of this punishment is that when you approach God, you think that he is not prone to want to respond to you because of your past. I'm going to equate it to when I was younger. And I would want to ask maybe my mother or my father for something. But I'd been a bad boy. So I'm not, the last thing I think they're going to do is do something for me when if they see me the next time, they're going to punish me because I was bad. So the chances are I'm going to avoid them. So I want something, but I know I can't ask it because if I ask it, I've got punishment lined up. And so if I want to avoid the punishment, I need to avoid them. If I avoid them, I can't ask the question. You following So we take this before our Heavenly Father. If we don't honestly believe that our sins are truly forgiven and constantly being forgiven when we ask, then we hesitate. Why? We're a bit afraid. We haven't been good. And so in that, our sin condemns us. That spirit condemns us. It's a fear, and sometimes we've already asked him for forgiveness. We've already confessed, but we still struggle with the punishment issues because we honestly don't feel we can ask him. We struggle. So we're in and out, and if we do ask him, we're, we kind of ask him kind of shyly, and it's like, God, I, I'm going to throw you a favor, but if you don't answer, I get it. You know, like I've not been really that good. I want to take you to the next scripture. First John chapter 1, verse 9. It says here, if we confess our sins... Note these two words, faithful and just, and will forgive. Now, will is forthcoming. Now, he already accomplished forgiveness on the cross, didn't he? That happened 2,000 years ago. So he has forgiven us. You'd wonder why it didn't say if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and has forgiven us. It doesn't say it. Will forgive us of our sins, purify us from unrighteousness. This will forgive, meaning we are holding ourselves back but don't he's faithful and he's just so therefore when we confess you need to have in your mind his faithfulness and his justice his faithfulness means he has made a promise and he's faithful to his promise somebody who's faithful means whatever they say they do but just he's the just judge he actually has the means to be faithful He can, by his authority, do it all. So not only is he faithful, but he's able to do it. So when we confess our sins, he is faithful to his promises. And just, he's the judge. He's he's the top dog. He's the Supreme Court. Therefore, forgives us. Now, Peter struggled with this because Peter stumbled along. He knew he messed things up a lot. I mean, at the end of the dialogue of John 21 the gospel of John you have Peter and Jesus having that conversation and, and Peter's broken because he knows he struggles with forgiveness and he struggles obviously with God's faithfulness and justice because he can't get past this because he struggles with the punishment aspect and he would go before Jesus and Jesus would let him know how much he loves him and trusts him and deals with righteousness in Peter's life. Righteousness doesn't mean perfect. Righteousness means God's perfect. And he throws his perfection over top of you. So you don't have to be. You simply need to be in the constant place of confession. So Jesus was asked in Matthew 18 by Peter, how many times should I forgive? And Peter would and Jesus would respond and say, Basically, forgive every time a situation needs forgiveness. Seven times 70, 490 times. Number's not important. It's every time there is need for forgiveness, he's faithful and just to forgive you. So confess and believe him. And when you do that, what you do, you are growing in his love and that love drives out the fear of approaching him. Beware of fear. It's a hindrance. It's a big one. Let's go to the next one. Next one is doubt. James 1 verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord, such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Okay, I want to go back to the first of that again. It says here, if any of you lacks wisdom, ask. Now, again, if we, if we can't get past the fear one, we're going to hesitate to ask. Who gives generously? I need to believe that in my heart. God likes to give generously. Without finding fault. Why? Because we've confessed already. He's just and He's faithful and it will be given to you. That's the reward. But, oh, there's the but. Why is there always a but there somewhere? Okay. But when you ask, note how strong the word is. Didn't say, you you know, you really try to work on the belief part. You must believe. Don't doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a Wave of the sea. Now you've watched the waves come and go, come and go, come and go. You come back tomorrow, they're still coming and go. Come back next week, they're like the waves of the sea, blown and tossed by wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. That seems harsh, doesn't it? Don't expect to receive anything. Such a person is double minded, unstable in all they do here's what happens you pray you ask god for the audacious things that it's according to his will and his plan and then soon as you leave you say things like well you know i don't really know if anything really happened i'm not sure if anything happened there uh you know i don't believe it's going to come to pass yeah i prayed so many times so you pray you ask but like the waves whoosh and back out whoosh and back out like the waves, you don't really expect. So what God is saying, come before him in expectation, come before him in expectation. You know how it helps me when I expect, and I'm going to be sharing more about this next week. This really unpacks next week. When I enter into his presence with praise and thanksgiving into his courts with praise, when I go before him in thanksgiving, and when I confess and confess, I'm going to explain next week. Confession is not simply, um, uh, rhyming off all my sins. Confession is agreeing with what he's just told me about myself. And when I do that, then when I get to the place of request and petition, I'm, I'm expecting. But if I, if I launch in and just start asking things, my expectation's at an all-time low. So I'm asking out of the side of this mouth and out of this side, I'm really not expecting anything. And there's a way to help you grow in expectation if you sh- but that person should not expect to receive anything we need to be an expectation we can't receive a person is double minded unstable in all they do so it's important so here i suggest if you're praying for someone in your family to become saved then maybe find a bible get a bible and begin to believe that one day you're going to give them that bible after they come to Christ maybe somebody you're praying for healing and you're praying for their physical healing Then maybe part of that place of not being double minded, the place of faith, is in your spirit, begin to celebrate the day of their healing. What will it look like when they get healed? And how will you celebrate together? Will you go out for dinner together? Will you call them and celebrate? Will you send them a gift? How will you celebrate that healing? So not only do you ask, but you don't follow up with all the negativity. You follow up with expectation. There's going to be a healing. And you believe. Now, I I want you to draw the line between expecting the healing and going around saying they're already healed. And I know some teachings are like that. But if the person is sick, it's okay to say, you're sick, we pray and are believing for your healing. And we don't have to talk about their sickness as much, but at the same time, we don't say you're healed and yet they're not healed. I know people say you do that in advanced faith. You plant the seed and the seed will come to pass. But you do need to have a measure of expectancy where you are not negatively speaking, you're not saying, well, I don't really think anything happened, or you quit praying, but you keep it before the Lord constantly. And sometimes the Lord will just show you moments and times to just give you a blessing, to let you know that he has really heard you. Uh, a person that I've grown to be dear, uh, a dear, uh, an acquaintance, but a friend, he, I've had him come and speak, is a, a fellow by the name of Bob Sorge from the U.S. He's part of the 24-7 Prayer team out of Kansas. And he shares a story one time when he was calling on God and he called and called and felt the faith was at an all-time low. He was in a stadium at that game and he was just saying, God, I wish you would just show give me a sign that that I'm on the right track. And if somebody in the baseball game didn't hit the ball, it went out of the field and it landed in his drink, just right in his drink. And and he had not much more than said it and the ball landed in his drink. and, And that kind of was a big moment for him. Um, Now, I, I, you know, so don't run off to a Jays game and wait for something to land in your drink. But God will often just give us little moments of encouragement that he has not abandoned or forsaken us. We can can trust him that he is just and that he is faithful. Uh, The Living Bible says it this way, James 1 verse 5. If you want to know God, what God, if you want to know what God wants you to do, ask him. And he will gladly tell you, for he is always ready to give a bountiful supply of wisdom to all who ask him. He will not resent it. Did you note know the part? Bountiful supply. But when you ask him, be sure that you really expect him to tell you for a doubtful mind will be as unsettled as the waves of the sea that is driven, tossed by the wind. Fear. Doubt. Let's go to number three. Wrong motives. James 4.3. When you ask, you do not receive. Why? Because you ask with wrong motives. That you may spend what you get on your pleasures. It fundamentally comes down to this. Are you asking God for something simply to avoid something else? Is that the only reason you're asking? We need to be asking God to fulfill his word and to fulfill his purposes for his kingdom. That's the reason we ask the prayer. So I don't ask just because it would be convenient, it would be nice, it would make me look good. I ask because fundamentally it fulfills God's word. God answers his word. He doesn't simply answer the needs. He answers according to his word. Will it fulfill God's kingdom purpose? God knows what we have It's not wrong to request, but we need to make sure they are based on his will and his plans. Matthew chapter 6 verse 8 says, do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Our main focus honoring God, promoting his purpose. So when we pray, ask God maybe to check our reasons for praying. Am I doing it to avoid something? Ask him to forgive you then if that's the case. Philippians chapter two, verse 13. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill what? His good purpose. He's fulfilling his purpose. That's what he desires to do. So we simply line up his purposes back to him and we bring it before him in prayer. Idols. Ezekiel chapter 14, verse three son of man. These men have set up idols, here's the key part, in their hearts, and put wicked, set up idols in their heart, put wicked stumbling blocks before their faces. Should I let them inquire of me? Should I even let them come before me and ask? We're not talking about these big idols of, of brazen, you know, images. We're talking about Idols of heart. What are idols of heart? Well, an idol definition is anything that you place at the front, anything that you give prominence to. And so idols of the heart, we need to watch those. They can be, and how do you know what idols of the heart? What do, what consumes you? What do you think most about? What, where do your passions flow? And maybe your checkbook as well. What flows, where's the passion? And frequently we know that that is what I've placed up as important in my life. What's the idols of the heart? They can be idols of a famous person. They can be idols in entertainment. They can be idols even in sports, where that, that has become, we follow that in a way that has taken the position of, of centrality in our hearts. Can be in music with the idols in music. We have to watch the idols of our heart that we establish because they displace God's rightful position in our lives. And often it happens without us even realizing it's sneaky. We need to examine our lives. What are our priorities? Where am I spending my time and my focus? God deserves our primary love, respect, and devotions. Deuteronomy 6.5, you know this verse. Love the Lord your God. How? All your heart, all your soul, all your strength. What's the idols? If you have idols in your heart, they get in the way of answered prayers. Lastly, stinginess. I leave it to the end because we don't like this one. Stinginess. Proverbs twenty-one thirteen says, "Whoever shuts their ears to the cry of the poor." will also cry out and not be heard. So if you do not help others, then when you ask for divine help, it hinders. I want to suggest that we're talking both materially, this one's a material help, but we're also talking spiritual. Let me go to the next one. Proverbs 11:25. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes, others will be refreshed. Like that part. Whoever refreshes, refreshes, others will be refreshed. So you want to receive some good, strong teaching from God's word? Want to grow in the Lord? Are you giving what you already know to others yourself? Are you helping others? You want others to, um, you know, care for you and to serve you to look out for you have you held back in stinginess your ability to refresh to help them are you helping others are you volunteering are you stepping into that place to assist others back a number of weeks ago i had a little part of a message i i said how to remain anonymous in church and and how to remain unknown Listen, if we withhold from others, God says in the same manner it's withheld from us. If I refuse to serve, if I refuse to let my gifts that God has given me help others, I'm too busy, I have too much work, I'm too busy doing it on my family, I have excuse after excuse. If I refuse, if I'm stingy with what he has given me to serve others, then I won't be served. My prayers will be hindered when I ask. That's spiritual. We... Will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. We won't be refreshed. But I want to go to the next one, in where it says in Proverbs twenty-two nine, the generous will themselves be blessed, for they share their food with the poor. Let's talk about material. We need to be generous, financially as well. It's maybe a God pocket, and I've talked about a God pocket. You you put aside a little bit of cash. I know we're in a in largely a cashless society. I was talking to somebody recently and and they came across a situation where they could have helped somebody but they had no cash and I've just made it, I, I the bulk of the cash I carry is not mine it's because I know God wants me to give it away and so I carry a little bit in a, in a in a little pocket and and I open my heart God how do I help somebody I don't want to be withholding and then it comes to your tithes and your offerings as well Malachi chapter 3. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. See if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven, pour out so much blessing, there will not be enough room to store it. But the condition is, are you generous? As you are generous to others, the Lord hears our prayers and reciprocates to ourselves. Wow. So, sin. Sin. Guilt, inferiority, forgiveness, bitterness, broken family relationships, fear, doubt, wrong motives, idols, stinginess. Yeah, it's a big enough list. I, 11 of them, and there could be more. But these are ones that I think are fairly obvious, and I certainly see lived out, certainly in me and others, that hinder your prayers. Let's make this an active part that we not let anything hinder us. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says, Throw off everything that hinders. So, you might run the race marked for you. So, let's get rid of the hindrances because we got a race in front of us. We got work to do. There's things to be accomplished through prayer that only prayer will answer. And by us getting rid of those hindrances, we take a major step then toward answered prayer. Thanks for listening to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast remember to subscribe. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit auroracornerstone.ca.